This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Warning. The following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Taryn Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am here with my beautiful ghoul friend Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are bringing you, as you can see by the title, The Girl in the Box, or The Survivor Story of Colleen Stan. And this one is a little extra special to Jessica and I in a fucked up way because it's a hometown crime. So, (laughs) In a fucked up way. Like, I feel bad saying it's special to us, but it's more personal. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know. We're connected to it in a way. Yes. Yes. In a creepy way. All right. But (laughs) returning spooksters, welcome back. If you are new here, thank you for checking out the show. We appreciate it. And if you would like to hang out with us on social media, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle for that is at Three Spooked Girls. And if you head to the link tree in the show notes, it will take you to our Facebook group and everything about us. And we also are on TikTok. I am spooky underscore sleuth. If you guys are not following me there, I'm just going to annoyingly self-plug myself. Go do it. Go do it. You get more creepy true crime and then random thirst traps because I have no fucking life. But it's fine. So it's there. It's there for you. (laughs) (laughs) And Jessica is Spooky Aunt Jessie, J-E-S-S-Y for that. Check it out. And if you would like to support the show and our creepy endeavors here over at Three Spooked Girls, we have a Patreon and that is patreon.com backslash Three Spooked Girls. We do all kinds of fun stuff over there starting at $1 or $1 tier. You get one bonus episode a month. Five and up is where it's at, though. You get video content, live streams, ad free episodes, swag, all kinds of great stuff. So definitely check it out. So we are just going to go ahead and dive right on in. I'm going to hand it over to Jessica to get us started. Okay, guys. So buckle up for this craziness that happened in the 70s and 80s. This story takes place in Red Bluff, California, which is where I went to high school. 
And so when Tara said it's a special story to us in a fucked up way, it's because literally we grew up like 20 minutes away from this place. It takes place with a predominant family. Like a lot of people don't know this, but the Hooker family has been around for a long ass time in Tehama County, which is where Tara and I are from. (laughs) So the story is about it kind of starts off about this couple and it's Cameron and Janice Hooker. And Janice is like several years younger than him. Like, I think they were like, I think she was like 14 Mm -hmm. or 15 when they met. Like, she was very young and they got married when she was like 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, I think this feels very like small towny. Like, this was something that was very widely accepted, even to like when Tara and I were young or in like high school and stuff that like older guys could date younger girls. And that always seemed really fucking weird. And it wasn't like discouraged. It was like encouraged. So yeah, that was weird. So they got married and all, all Janice really wanted was to be a mom and a loving wife. And that's not kind of what Cameron had in mind. Cameron, and I'm going to say this right now, Tara and I do not kink shame people. Mm -mm. Do what makes you happy. (laughs) Exactly. If you want to get tied up, go for it. Like have have the sex you want to have. As long as both parties are okay and consent, then I don't yeah. care what you guys do in your beds or other places. Do what you got to do. Right. As long as it's legal for both parties to be participating and two, it's consensual for both parties. Like I don't give a fuck. I don't I don't care. However, Cameron is one of those guys who kind of like coerces his partners into it. So when they were either, I think either when they were first married or they were first dating. I don't even think they were married yet. I know what you're going to talk about right now. But yeah. Yeah. I think they were like barely together. Yeah. They had just. Yeah. And so she was young. She was like in her teens. He like took her and drove her out into this area, like kind of like northeast of Red Bluff and basically took her to this place, suspended her from a tree. And like in because we read this book, it's called The Perfect Mm -hmm. Victim and it's Colleen's story. And they talk about it. And it's like talking about how she's like Janice was suspended from this tree and the cuffs were like cutting into her wrist and how it was really painful. But she was like convinced that like Cameron was like the love of her life and that she had to do these things to make him happy. So This is kind of the relationship they had. It was very like BDSM plus, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like it took it to like a different level. So then they have kids. They have two children and they start talking during this time about how, you know, like I'm pretty sure I'm like 100% sure Janice was just trying to figure out how to get the fuck out of that situation while still having her husband and her children and everything without having to be the object of his Mm -hmm. Of his rageful lust. I don't know how else to say it. So they kind of talk about, they talk about it for several times, him getting a sex slave. And I feel like this is one of those times where like the internet had been around or like a dating app had been around or some shit like that. Like he probably could have found a willing participant. Mm -hmm, For sure. But they don't. Now, I'm going to kind of jump off topic a little bit, but still on topic of the story, but not. Tara and I used to watch, We, you guys know that we used to watch like Ghost Hunters. And then after Ghost Hunters, back in like 2012, was a show called Paranormal Experiences. And it was like where people would tell their stories about their experiences that they had. And it was about this one girl who was living in this apartment in Chico, which Chico is about 45 minutes kind of like southeast of Red Bluff. 
And she was living in this apartment. She kept having these really bad dreams about this girl, like a young college age girl. And it turns out that through these dreams finds out that this girl had been abducted by this couple and that they had taken her to a house and chained her in a basement and then raped her and then murdered her and that she was buried out and about, which happens to be about these individuals. Mm-hmm. So at some point in 1977, basically in comes Colleen Stan. And Colleen Stan was from Eugene, Oregon, and she had a friend who lived in Northern California. In fact, she lived in Westwood, which is where my paternal grandparents live. Oh, wow. Small world. (laughs) Right? Like this whole story all about me in a weird way, but not about me at all. There's there's a lot of coincidences, what I mean. So she had a friend who was, it was their birthday, and so she was hitchhiking. Now, mind you, this is 1977, and hitchhiking was a form of travel. This wasn't hugely frowned upon and it said that she was she considered herself to be an experienced hitchhiker and she'd made it all the way from eugene to red bluff and was kind of like walking around red bluff on antelope boulevard and some people had stopped and you know she had said no to but then this like blue van type vehicle pulls over and she says that she felt confident climbing into the van the blue van because the person who stopped had a wife and their baby in the car. Mm-hmm. So she's like, oh, okay. So she gets in and they start driving. They start driving up the 32, which is a very fucking windy ass road. So they're heading up towards Westwood. So they have to go through like Mineral and Paints Creek. And it says that they stopped at a gas station and she heard a voice told me to run and jump out the window and never look back. But she just thought like she was being like paranoid, you know, like she heard her like inner dialogue going off mm. this is why like we tell you like listen to your gut like listen yes, to the intuition I was about to say that always mm-hmm. listen to your gut so then they drive a little bit longer and you know they there's this place up there called Payne's creek i'm pretty sure this is what they were talking about so they it says that you know as they're driving up to westwood because they were going to take her as far as like mineral or someplace like that not all the way to westwood And, you know, that's closer. That's like a huge chunk of it. And that's the really windy part Mm -hmm. is before then. So I would have been like, if I was hitchhiking, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'm going to get real close to there. And so they start driving down this road. And then all of a sudden, Cameron pulls off, like off and gets out. And so Janice actually gets out of the car as well. And Cameron gets out and puts a knife to Colleen's throat. And basically... At this point, she's like, the fuck? What is happening? I don't know what's going on. Like, panic, panic, panic is ensuing. And at this point, Cameron takes out this big wooden box and puts her head into it. And the box is designed to prevent light, sound, and fresh air from entering. So you just, like, really hope you didn't eat tuna before you put the box on your head. Because that's (laughs) what you're going to smell. So at this point, Cameron then, they drive home. They drive to their house, which their house was kind of like close to downtown Red Bluff, like kind of mm-hmm. far, but kind of close. Tara, do you remember the apartment that I had in Red Bluff that was like the townhouse? That was like the two, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It was on that. It was on that road. Oh, shit. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so 
basically Cameron, who worked, you know, in a lumber mill, he actually worked for Diamond International Lumber Mill. He and Janice had had this conversation about getting a sex slave. And so they had apparently attempted to pick up several people and just never thought that they were the right fit for them, which is such a weird thing. So weird. Mm hmm. So part of the agreement that he and Janice had was that there would be no sexual penetration, that he could bind them, that he could do his torture, like whipping and stuff like that to them, but he could not sexually penetrate them, that he could bite them, that he could do all these things to them, but he could not actually like have have sex sex with with her. Yeah. We'll spoiler this for you. It happened. Mm hmm. So they take Colleen out and they take her down to the basement. And I think they put like a hood over her head or a blindfold on something that obstructed her eyes. And she's basically like tied up, slightly suspended. It's more like she's tied to something. And they leave her there for like long periods of time. So not only like you're talking like muscle fatigue and like just exhaustion. And then the very first night that like the very first time this happens, he and Janice come downstairs and have sex at Colleen's feet. So she's like tied up looking down and she can tell that they're having sex. Oh, so gross. Mm-hmm. So then at night, what he would do is he would put the box back on her. And when they lived in this particular house, he had built like a contraption that he put her in. So it was like not very big. She didn't have really room to move around, but she'd have the hat on or like the the box. And so this would start going on for some time. So that was in 1977. I believe it was in like spring of 1977. Then we flash forward to January of 1978. So she's been literally captive this whole fucking time. And this is just happening to her day in and day out. Well, Cameron has this genius idea. Why don't we tell her that there's this powerful organization called The Company, which would torture and kill her family if she tried to escape? So what ends up happening is that they come up with this sex slave contract. And she basically signs this document saying that Cameron is her master and that she is his submissive and that he can basically do whatever he wants to her. And if she tries to run, if she tries to tell people, then they would tell the company and the company would hurt her family. And I mean, this is like one of those things where, you know, if you don't have experience in the world like this, she was 20. Right, exactly. And I mean, like, it's the 70s, too. So, like, you know what I mean? There's not, like, resources Mm -hmm. for her to have looked anything like this up prior or heard anything, really. And why would you? Right. Well, and the thing is, too, like, he copied the contract out of like a like a kink magazine Mm -hmm. basically and had jan or janice type it up and shit for him so like you know colleen said it looked legit right totally and they then gave her a new name she was no longer colleen she was k like the letter not like k-a-y like the name Mm -hmm. and then cameron was master and she wasn't allowed to talk without permission she had to like so basically she started coming out more of the box she was out a lot, I think, during this time period. I think Janice had had another child. I think this is where they ended up with the two kids. And, you know, things just kind of seemed like, oh, there's this person in our lives. You know, and when they did company over, I think they would put her away. But the longer that this went on, the more that they got comfortable with her, the longer she would stay out. They realized that they had, you know, they had a built-in babysitter. So they lived on this this house for a while and everything seemed to be going well. 
And then after like, you know, even though that he and Janice had had the conversation, like there's no penetration that can happen, nothing like that. After a while, Cameron started to like, I believe it started like orally. And then it just kind of like moved on to actual sex. And there's kind of like, I've read some debate about this because people are like, well, she kind of participated in it. But at this point in time, like she's been kidnapped and held against her will. Any kind of sexual contact is rape. Mm -hmm. That is a hard and fast stop for in my opinion, right? So this just, you know, this just keeps going on. And she's basically out for like, I want to say like eight months to a year. Like, but then all of a sudden, like shit just, I think Janice was like, fuck, they're having sex. Like, I don't like this. So then they moved to a mobile home and she was being put away each night under their bed. Yeah. So he had like built a compartment under their bed and he would put the box on them and then like basically like slide her under. During this time, she would like come out and she would actually like go outside and like, you know, tend garden, do things like that. And obviously she couldn't run away or tell anyone anything because of the whole company thing. And this went on for some time. And in 1981, Cameron and Colleen went to visit her family. Yup. And there was a period of time when they were down there. Cameron had to go take care of some business that Colleen was alone with her family. Mm -hmm. And this has been a big debate around this case because you're dealing with a woman who obviously she's being held against her will. So why wouldn't she say something to her family? Like people have said, well, if I was there and, you know, I was by myself, I could have told them they could have helped me. They could have prevented him from getting. But I think she's so believed that this quote unquote company would hurt her family there is nothing that she wouldn't do to protect them, including stay with this man. He was so smart about this. He made this big deal about being like, oh, you might be able to go see them. And then it was like, oh, mm-hmm. it got approved. But just so you know, they are going to have like surveillance on the house the whole time. So they will know if you say right. a word. So she thought she was being watched the whole time. So besides protecting her family, you know, she probably thought if I fuck up, we're going to all die. She's protecting herself. Yeah. Right. And like one of the things is like her family were like questioning things because like I wouldn't say that Colleen before she went like before she was kidnapped, like that she was maybe the most like prissy of women. Like she wasn't, but she always like seemed to put herself together well and she always took care of herself. And when she showed up, like her clothes didn't fit her right. Like they weren't. It's not that she wore the latest styles, but they weren't even like in style. And she was like thin. She didn't have her own money. They couldn't really reconcile like why there had been such a difference like in communication like time. You know, her family just was like, okay, whatever. So she they just kind of like they like asked her and she's like, don't worry about it. And then they just dropped it. Like my family would not have my family would have been like, no, you need to fucking answer this question right now. And, you know, she said that she was really happy when they visited the family. And that's where there's like a famous photo that I've taken of her and Cameron. And they're like smiling. And like, I think he has his arms around her. But like she was playing a part. This whole lifestyle is that she was playing a part. At some point, shortly after they go visit, Colleen, I think it has to do with Janice. Like, I think she was just fucking done. Because Cameron, something changed in Cameron. Cameron went from viewing her as just a sex slave to like really caring about her, but caring about her as a sex. It's like a weird fucking crazy Stockholmy 
Harley Quinn stupid fucking romance on his story. side, I guess. Not really hers. Well, the Stockholm is on her side. No, but no, like <laughs> the I really fucking crazy is on his side. I don't side. know. Just from watching stuff about her, it doesn't seem like she had love for him. It was just she was so scared and she cared about the kids and about Jan, honestly. Because he was the one that was like, right. she's going to be my That's other true. wife. And Jan's like, oh, That's no, no, true. no, bitch. No, thank you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, and this is why, like, Janice was like, no, I don't want her in fucking my life. I don't want her around. So something happened and snap. Colleen is back in the box again. And she's there 23 hours a day for three fucking years. Her muscles must have atrophied. It says that, like, when she had to use the restroom, like she had to use a bedpan. That's insane. And basically, you know, she had met a lot of their friends because like she would be outside and, you know, she was allowed to kind of like mingle and whatnot. And Cameron just told them all that she went home. He even told his kids that, you know, Kay went home. And this is what people knew her as is Kay. And I'm sure they weren't like Kay is in the letter. I'm sure they were thinking like Kay is in K-A-Y the name. Well, eventually in 1984, they let her out of the box again and they start treating her well. They start feeding her. They start dressing her nice. They start reintroducing her to people. And then they were like, you maybe you should get a job. So she starts working at hotels. Like she starts working as like a maid at a hotel at hotels in Red Bluff. And I think one, honestly, the book talks about this, but it's like a huge pivotal moment is Cameron allows, because Janice starts going to church and then Cameron starts allowing Colleen to go to church. So now there's a person, typically pastors, they want to do like good things. They're noticing like this woman there and they start asking questions. And kind of the fucked up shit about this is is that this pastor ends up knowing Mm -hmm. what's happening for a little bit before shit actually happens. Like shit actually Mm -hmm. like gets better. So, I mean, this is the man who kept a woman in a box underneath his bed during the fucking summers in Red Bluff, California, which I'm sorry, like if you've never lived there, like people who think that California is like, it's 75 degrees and it's that warm, sunny breeze. Like, no, where Tara and I grew up in the winter, it gets to like 32 all day. And then in the summer, it's 115. Mm-hmm. But those three weeks in the spring <laughs> is beautiful. <laughs> it's worth it for those three weeks. <laughs> so she's she's out working. She's going to church. I think her and Cameron's relationship seemed a little easier. And I think probably because she was like, I'm not going to fuck this shit up because mm-hmm. I'm not going back in that box again. So I'm going to do whatever he says. I mean, that's a big in- like, I don't know about you, but if someone put me in a box for 23 hours a day for three years, if they let me out. I'd be like, I will do anything. Right. Exactly. She's just trying to survive. Right. I will walk across glass with bare feet. Like, I will figure this shit out. Like, don't worry about it. So about this time. You know, she's been reintroduced to the neighbors. This is like the end of 1983, beginning of 1984. She's working at the motel. Like Tara mentioned, like Cameron is starting to talk about how he wants Colleen to be his second wife. And that basically, this is where Janice kind of goes, shit, I have been brainwashed by my husband to believe that I am this horrible person. In fact, he called her a whore for like, you know, sweet late. I mean, she's not sweet lady because like she helped. But this is kind of her turning point. And she was like, okay, well, to get this better, I have to get Colleen to go. So they talked to the pastor. They kind of talked to some other people and they make a plan. And 
basically, it's that. Colleen's going to go to work and just doesn't come home. And Colleen goes home to her family. And you're thinking like, well, how could she do this? Because now Janice tells Colleen, there's no such thing as the company. We fucking made it up. Which, I'm sorry, I would have had a really hard time not punching her in the face. (laughs) Right. So now I'm going to hand it over to Tara. And she's going to tell us the rest of this fucking twisted tale. Yes. So, like Jessica said, Jan, Colleen calls her Jan, so I'm going to call her Jan. Jan, you know, she goes to the motel and she talks to Colleen and she's like, look, this is fake, you know, blah, 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 all this shit. So the two actually went over to Jan's parents' house. And this is where Colleen would call her parents and be like, I want to come home. I need help. Can you help me? And her family's like, "Uh, yeah, of course. So they live in Riverside, California, so Southern California. So they wire her money so she can buy a bus ticket. And once Colleen gets to the bus station, she actually calls Cameron to tell him like, hey, I know you're full of shit. I'm leaving and there's nothing you can fucking do about it. And she expected him to be angry, threaten her or any of that. No, she said he just immediately start, started bawling. And she was just like, OK. And she's like, I hung up and never looked back, which I'm like, good for you, bitch. So over the next few months, though, after she leaves, Colleen does continue to communicate with Jan and Cameron via phone and letters. Jan had actually left Cameron for a short period of time. It was only about like a week before she went back to him. The whole reason this whole thing with Colleen leaving and coming clean about it and stuff came up, I'll get into later because there's a friend that Jan had talked to. Jan at this point had said, Colleen, don't go to the police. I want to give him a chance. I want to give Cameron a chance to like rehabilitate himself. He can change. And Colleen's like, okay, whatever. Cause you know, now she's like fucking hours away. So she's like, I don't Mm -hmm. really give a shit type of thing. And Colleen, her family eventually found out about this. And they were like, you need to go to the police. This this is horrific. And Colleen was just like, no, no, I don't want to. I just want to forget about this whole fucking thing. Which seems improbable. Ugh, I know. But meanwhile, during this time, you know, Jan, she, like I said, she was only apart from Cameron for a week, went back and she made all these stipulations, right? So she had Cameron go to church with her for quite a while. And she's like, you need to go to counseling. And Also, one of her stipulations was that they destroy some of his bondage stuff, and this would be into late August and early September. There were other items that Jan would take and just hide rather than destroy. She was afraid that Cameron would use them on her because she had let Colleen go, Mm -hmm. and she was not doing well at this point. It was said that she couldn't eat, she couldn't sleep. So eventually she decided to leave their home again and she went back to her parents on September 28th. And it was said that she was having like panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And as as soon as she went to her parents' house, they stopped because she felt safe. Mm. And after this, she would soon realize, you know, there's not going to be fixing any Cameron because on November 1st, she went back to the home to see if he got rid of the rest of the the stuff, the sex stuff that he had, like she had said, he had not. And that pastor that she had been talking to, you know, she went and talked to him again. And she was talking with one of her friends and the friend brought up and was like, you know, all this stuff that he's put you through and put Colleen through over the last almost decade. Who's to say he's not going to do this to your children, Jan? You need to turn him in. Exactly. And thankfully, she did. 
she would go to authorities in November of 1984 to turn him in. And she tells them everything. She also tells them something else. And what she tells them is this isn't the first time that they've done something like that. Like Jessica mentioned earlier, this was a little bit of a pattern for them. More specifically, there was another missing girl from the Chico area, which, like Jessica said, 45 minutes away from Red Bluff. Her name was Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. She also went by Marliz. And Jan said that they had kidnapped her about 15 months prior to when they kidnapped Colleen and Cameron ended up murdering her and that they rolled her body up with some carpet and then buried her in the woods. Now, the detective, Al Shamblin, was like, what the fuck? And decided to reach out to Chico Police Department to be like, is this true? Is there anybody reported missing? You know, all of this. And it turns out, yes, that Marliz was the one that was missing since the dates that coincided with Jan's story. It went cold. They had no leads, no nothing. She just seemed to vanish in thin air. She had moved to Chico from the East Coast with a boyfriend and she was walking from like a flea market or the farmer's market and she was just never seen again. So basically, the story goes that they picked her up there. So after all of this, they decide, you know, let's offer Jan immunity, not only to testify against Cameron later in court, but in exchange to show them where Marliz's body was at because, you know, they wanted to give that closure for her family. And they would all go out, but unfortunately, they wouldn't be able to find her. But they do believe it is her because, like I said, everything just lined up. And, you know, problem with it being the 80s, they didn't want to try to risk going after Cameron on charges with Marliz's murder because there was no body, because the whole no body, no crime thing was like a huge thing back then because mm-hmm. they sure. have the technology we have now. So they would contact her family and tell them, you know, hey, this is what we believe happened to her, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And her sister is in there's a snapped episode on this and Marlis's sister is in it. And she's like, you know, basically all of their family accepted this except their dad, which is just so sad. Mm. And oh, yeah, so heartbreaking. But they do move forward with the charges for the crimes with Colleen. Now, Cameron would be charged with a slew of charges, including one count of kidnapping with the use of a deadly weapon, three counts of false imprisonment, seven counts of forcible rape, two counts of abduction for illicit reasons, and single counts for forcibly sodomy, forcible oral copulation, and penetration with the foreign object. Mm. Of course, he would plead not guilty because he's fucking stupid. Right. But <laughs> also <laughs> to note... They did move the proceedings down to San Mateo County out of Tehama County. Which is smart because just the resources that San Mateo would have versus what Tehama County. Tehama County even today doesn't have that many resources. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. So before the trial, Cameron argued that he should be allowed to introduce evidence of Colleen's life before her kidnapping, including evidence of prior sexual conduct. And of course, the court was like, "Eh, no, we're not doing that. Goodbye. Get out of here. And because like the biggest thing that comes with this is the defense wants to say like Colleen did this all willingly. Right. She wanted to be a part of this and, you know, she stayed. So at the trial, Janice and Colleen were the key prosecution witnesses, of course. And Jan's testimony, she was very emotional. You know, she'd have outbursts, things like that to be expected. But Colleen was very flat and unemotional and unattached which the prosecution was kind of concerned with a little bit because they were like, oh, my God, are they going to think like she just doesn't care? You know, things like that. But it's like, like we said earlier, she wanted to just forget everything. Right. So 
she was very like removed from it, I think. But basically, they would talk to all kinds of people. They talked to the neighbors. They talked to kids. They talked to Colleen's sister, the pastor, the whole nine. And there would be over 100 pieces of physical evidence introduced by the prosecution, including the fucking box. Oh, my God. I can't even think of how traumatizing that probably was for Colleen to see that shit again. Right. Especially like being in in an area where like, I don't know, courtrooms are like enclosed. Mm hmm. I would have felt like trapped. Yeah. Like they had everything. They had the head box, the box they put under the waterbed the stretcher and then tons of photographs of Colleen because he also took pictures of her while she was in bondage. When the the camera was like his downfall because like he took pictures of everything. So like they had burned the fucking contract. So there wouldn't have been a physical evidence of the contract, but he fucking took a picture of it and kept the picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, oh, that bit you in the ass. Because like as soon as Jan told that, told the police this originally before all those courts, like they went over there and they found everything, like all this kind, all the shit, all the shit. They found it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he wasn't hiding it or anything. So there was something that did come up that like was kind of a disagreement between what Colleen was saying and what Janice was saying. And this was about whether Janice had invited Colleen to leave like years before she did. Mm -hmm. Janice testified that before she went to see her family down in Riverside in 1981, she told her she could go. But Colleen said, quote, God doesn't want me to go yet. Interesting. Right. But Colleen was like, no, this never fucking happened and said that Cameron had told her that God put her with him to straighten out her life. Ew, that's so gross. Yeah. They would also have the physician who examined Colleen after she left Red Bluff. And they also had a psychologist to talk about Colleen's captivity and her reactions to what Cameron did to her. And the psychologist would list a number of factors that led him to conclude that Colleen was coerced into remaining with him and obeying him, which is very obvious, especially Mm -hmm. because it's like we know all this kind of psychology stuff now. Like it's kind of common knowledge, you know. And basically, he explained that by abducting her suddenly and isolating her, removing her clothes, the abuse, you know, Mm -hmm. taking her away from daylight, controlling her food and water when she went to the bathroom, everything made her completely dependent on him because she had to ask for permission for every single thing. And, you know, he threatened her family, threatened to sell her to someone who might treat her worse. He would torture her. He would do all of that stuff to her. And this was just basically showing like, look, she had no other choice but to do what he wanted and to listen, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And he explained that all of this, all these things and all of the techniques he used in his torture was available in basically literature on bondage and sadomasochism, which he had. And finally, it took he had said that it would take someone such as to go through this kind of thing, someone who had went through the same thing as Colleen a long time after returning to normal life to be able to confront their captor, like to confront them and accuse them and, you know, go after justice. And this was like important for them to have an expert because at this time, brainwashing wasn't really something that had been had been seen in court too much. And one of the detectives on the case had said, I can't remember her name, but she had said she had worked a different case where they tried to use that and it didn't work. It failed miserably. So they had to try to go another way about it. And of course, because people didn't understand this thought, Mm -hmm. the media was attacking Colleen and victim blaming her because they were like, she had so many opportunities to run away. Why the fuck didn't she? Basically, instead of going after Cameron, which is the person they should have went after. Exactly. (laughs) It's just disgusting. 
And we don't see this very often, but in this case, Cameron testified. He would admit to kidnapping Colleen and keeping her in the box and engaging in some bondage with her. But he insisted that, like I said earlier, she consented all of this. He offered two defenses to this to the sex offense charge. Colleen's consent and that he his reasonable belief that she consented. He also he also tried to say that Colleen being in the box and whatnot was not wasn't continuous, like they were saying, that she had left at various times but chose to stay because she loved him. Ew. And he did acknowledge to lying about the company, but he said that a few months before they moved to the mobile home, he brought out the contract. However, he also agreed to the testimony of the prosecution that Colleen didn't know Cameron was not a member of the company until 1984. He was very, very smart at being like, "Okay, I'll admit to this, but I'm not going to admit to X, Y and Z, because essentially for the things he did admit to, the statute of limitations had passed. So he was like, I'm he was a cocky bitch Mm -hmm. and he thought he was going to get away with this. So he's like, I'll fucking admit it. It's fine. Now, the defense, they would bring a man named Dr. Donald Lundy, and they would say he would say that Colleen was not coerced because she wasn't in physical captivity for the entire seven year period, which would have been essential for coercion. And I'm like, bitch, the fuck? No, get out of here. Exactly. It'd be my brain can't wrap it around there that like you would choose to sleep in a box under a bed. Right. And then. He also said it wasn't reasonable reasonable for Colleen to believe that the company existed. Basically, that she stayed in the home because she fell in love with Cameron and the kids who were often left in her care. And to kind of corroborate this theory, they placed several letters from Colleen to Cameron into evidence and then all the phone records, of course. So he also brought up this thing called attention drills. And that basically was things that were similar to Marine Corps recruits Mm -hmm. drills type of thing that Cameron would make Colleen do. And at the end of this questioning, the judge questioned the doctor about this reference being like, what was the point? You know, blah, blah, blah. But whatever. It was just a lot of like back and forth. Now, eventually, the jury would deliberate and they would find Cameron guilty of kidnapping with the use of a deadly weapon, forcible oral copulation, penetration with a foreign object, forcible sodomy, and six counts of rape. The only remaining charge, the seventh count of rape, resulted in a hung jury and this count was dismissed. Cameron was sentenced to an indeterminate term of seven of... 1 to 25 years of kidnapping with a consecutive term of 5 to 10 years for the weapon use enhancement to be followed by a 69-year determinate term in state prison for the remaining offenses. Of course, he applied for an appeal on all of this shit, but it did not fucking work. Now, what's crazy was he got all this time in prison, but he eventually could be up for he was he was allowed to be up for parole. Right. And he had a parole hearing on April 16th of 2015. This was denied, of course. And he was supposed to be eligible for another one in 2030. But in the meantime, in November of 2019, the Tehama County DA wrote a letter saying that Cameron should be evaluated as a sexually violent predator, which put this whole thing into Mm -hmm. motion. So during the start of the pandemic, California officials contacted Colleen and advised her that they were looking into possibly granting him parole in March of 2021. 
But instead of the parole hearing, they scheduled a hearing in September of 2021 to decide if he should be classified as a sexually violent predator, which would essentially result in him being moved to a state Mm -hmm. hospital. And they've already done like some evaluations and stuff. And they put like, yes, he he can be classified as this blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, which put more shit into motion and is changing everything to a probable cause hearing. And essentially, it's like this will determine if there's enough evidence to take that to trial for that. And this will happen unless there's any kind of delays and shit starting on March 1st, which is really interesting. True. Because that's very soon. Now, if he's found guilty, he, oh, excuse me, I'm going to crack myself. He would remain in jail, but he would get mental health treatment. If he's found not guilty, he could be fucking released on parole. And given an ankle monitor. And we all know how shitty those are. And basically, right? And basically they were talking about like how there's, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of crime, you know, this kind of crime and how many years, because I think it added up to like over a hundred something years or some shit. I guess in California, it's like if you reach like 65 or 62 or some shit, they could fucking do this shit and let people out because they're (sighs) old, basically. I'm like. We've seen that go south. The fuck? Right. And I'm like, in your early 60s, that's not Mm -mm. really that old. Like, Jesus, fuck. So, yeah, that's where we're at with Cameron. And we'll uh, keep an eye on that guy. But now as far as Colleen goes, she because of her confinement in the box, understandably so, she has suffered from chronic back and shoulder pain. When she did go home and, you know, all of that, she she did go through extensive therapy. Mm -hmm. She would get married a couple times and had a daughter. She would also join an organization called the Reading Women's Refuge Center, and that is an organization that says they are committed to helping abused women, and she also earned a degree in accounting. I'm not sure if she only has one daughter or if she has more children, but basically she's raising her two-year-old grandson now. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me, I mean, I, don't, I mean, I guess it's kind of understandable because this story kind of blew up. Both Colleen and Jan both changed their names. And they still live in California, both of them. But neither of them have spoken to each other since. Which makes sense. That they wouldn't talk to one another. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, why would you? Because that's like a horrible fucking chunk of your life. Like, no, you know, I get it. Mm -hmm. But I do want to wrap us up with a quote from Colleen. It was from an interview she had did a while back. And she said, life today is good. You learn how to live in the now and not let the past drag you back. And I just thought that was it's a good quote. I just thought, yeah, I thought it was a good quote. So, yeah, that that is today's case on the kidnapping of Colleen Stan or the girl in the box. Always hate to be like, hope you guys enjoyed it. But like, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode (laughs) and read the book. Read Yes, read the book. The book is amazing. There's also the audiobook version on Audible, if that's your thing. So 10 out of 10, definitely recommend it. It is, it's really, really good. It's very detailed. It's really good. And then also the Snapped episode on this is really good too. Mm -hmm. So I definitely recommend both of those. But that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.